Regularly, we hear on news reports or documentaries the expression, knowledge is increasing, or the phrase, today knowledge is doubling at an ever-accelerating pace. While this may be true in terms of the sum of all human knowledge, does that mean that the average high school graduate of today is more knowledgeable and capable than one who graduated 50 years ago? Before you say yes to that question, please consider some very recent observations. On April 4, 2018, Trevor Nace, writing for Forbes magazine, published an article in which he reported on a reliable survey that showed one-third of American millennials either have doubts that our planet is spherical or actually accept the assertion that the Earth is flat. Now, we might think this is a one-off event, as surely younger people taught in a modern education system must have a reasonably sound view of science and the world at large. Alas, the situation in most schools in Canada, and also in the United States, is not encouraging. Ideological forces, which have gained control over many school systems, have been waging a determined war against knowledge. The future of your children or grandchildren may well be at risk, as well as the ability of our nations to compete internationally. What is the cost of ignorance? I'll be right back to explain why the Western English-speaking nations are now under threat. Stay tuned as we examine the war against knowledge, especially if you have children or grandchildren. Is there really a war against knowledge in our schools? Consider a finding made five years prior to the aforementioned Forbes article at a rather well-known Canadian university. In January of 2013, Professor Judith Adler at Memorial University of Newfoundland had grown concerned that many of her students might be lacking the skills in geography which would enable them to comprehend course issues about global cultural traditions. She gave her students a quiz consisting of a blank map of the world with instructions to indicate where places and features such as Africa, Europe, Great Britain, and the Atlantic Ocean were situated. To her surprise, many of her university students had not the most rudimentary geographic awareness. She explains the importance of geography as follows. Basic geography allows us to locate where we are in the world it gives us a sense of time and space and scope. And alas, Canadian students at MUN appear to be too spaced out to notice that the ocean they are perched on is the Atlantic. The nation was horrified. How could it be that high school graduates and graduate students could complete schooling and have such a knowledge deficit? Canada is a modern nation and a part of the G7, one of the world's seven major economies. The United States is a nation that has had for two centuries a very strong educational tradition, and yet many of the same issues are prevalent there. How is this possible? The problem is not due to a lack of funding, as some would suggest. In general, governments in the Western world spend large percentages of total revenue on educating their nation's youth. For the most part, the majority of citizens are very supportive of such spending, 
realizing full well that a population of well-educated youth should greatly enhance the society's potential to grow both intellectually and economically. Canada, for example, where education is solely a provincial jurisdiction, devotes an average of 6.4% of GDP to education, well ahead of the OECD average of 6.1%. In 2019, the Fraser Institute published a report entitled Education Spending in Public Schools in Canada from 2006 to 2015. This report showed that while overall K-12 enrollment in Canada dropped 1.8%, spending on education in the same period increased at a rate of $1 billion per year. For Canada as a whole over the last decade, per student spending in public schools increased 17.3% once adjustments have been made for inflation. It is apparent that despite a prodigious increase in the real cost of K-12 education, it seems from the report cited that students actually know less. Does it matter? Author and educator Michael Zwagstra, in a paper published by the Frontier Center for Public Policy in 2017, entitled Content Knowledge is the Key to Learning, makes the following observation. Not only does content knowledge provide students with the skills they need to function effectively as Canadian citizens, it is absolutely essential to the development of critical and creative thinkers. Only by giving content knowledge its rightful emphasis will schools ensure that students receive the level of education they deserve. Zweigstra's comment here seems to make perfect sense after all. Most people assume that's what schools are all about. Has something changed? Many link the present problems in education to poverty and a host of other social maladies. But in the early part of the 20th century, Canadian schools were educating large numbers of poor students, many of whom became extremely successful, both in a financial and a scholastic sense. The problem here is not a lack of money or resources. History shows that throwing more money at education does not create better results. For example, no quantified studies link investment in computer technologies to improvements in student achievement on standardized assessments. Yet billions continue to be spent on an assumption. The knowledge deficit persists. The changes that have brought us to this current situation gradually found their way into North American schools largely after World War II, reflecting new instructional approaches or pedagogy being taught in teacher training programs. By the 1970s, these new notions, generally referred to as progressive education, had worked their way into curriculum. Journalist Andrew Nikiforic describes the impetus for this. The American philosopher John Dewey is the modern father of this form of pedagogy, although its roots go back to the 18th century French essayist Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Dewey reacted to the extreme formalism and rigidity of schools in the 1890s and demanded that things should be done differently. Dewey, who was also rebelling against his own strict religious upbringing, believed that schools should adjust children to the social world. He viewed schools as instruments for social change, deploring the traditional emphasis on reading and math. 
he called for more learning by doing. Followers of Dewey have designed curricula which are mind of knowledge objectives in favor of process skills. No one will argue the importance of process, but the progressive educators devalue the knowledge component of learning, believing that only learning how to learn counts. This is what is meant by the banners child-centered learning, constructivism, whole language, cooperative learning, and other labels. The concept of the teacher as expert, passing on information society has determined to be essential, is thus deliberately undermined. Universal education was funded by tax dollars to ensure that the youth would continue the nation's capacity to create wealth, enable culture, history, and traditions and norms of civil behavior to be passed on. This requires directly informing the student of what was, what is, and why. The flaws of progressive education have long been known. The notion that students will sense when they need to learn something and choose to learn it, thus acquiring all essential knowledge, is a fallacy, totally unsupported in empirical research. In 1953, a brilliant researcher, Dr. Hilda Neatby, who had been classically educated in England, France, and the United States, identified the threat. In a moment, we'll take a look at Dr. Neatby's warning, a warning that every parent and grandparent needs to hear. Part of the war being waged against knowledge is a war against culture, and central to that is an attempt to eliminate from the public mind and memory the text of a book upon which is based most of what we call Western culture and law. The book of which I speak is the Bible. The histories, stories, laws, and teachings found in this book have in fact helped shape the language, literature, traditions, and models of governance of Canada, the United States, and much of Europe. A lack of awareness of the Bible's content results in a disconnect for people between the society of today and the ideas that shape the dominant cultural background of the nation. Tomorrow's World is pleased to offer free of charge one of the clearest and most understandable courses on what it is the Bible actually contains, including the personalities, stories, laws, guidelines, and prophecies, all of which have been a powerful influence on Western culture even if biblical direction has not always been followed very well. If you are not thoroughly familiar with this amazing book, here is your opportunity to learn or review the text that shaped the Western world, a book modern counterculture is trying to marginalize or eliminate. No book has had a greater impact on Western civilization than the Bible, and yet interest in it has been waning for decades. Call the number on your screen or visit us online at TWCanada.org to enroll in our free Bible study course. You'll receive the first lesson which you can complete at your own pace. Once you've finished, simply let us know and we'll continue sending you lessons free of charge. Dial the number on your screen or visit us online and enroll today. If you missed our contact information this time, keep watching and I'll be back to give it again. Welcome back. We've been looking today at the war on knowledge that seems to be very much alive in many schools of the nation. As I mentioned, nearly 70 years ago, Dr. Hilda Neatby sounded a warning 
about what she saw as a developing movement to change schools from places of learning and the transmission of knowledge to centers where students would become easily engineered to accept new ways of shaping society, free of the restraints imposed by biblical morality. In his essay, Still So Little for the Mind, The Enduring Relevance of Hilda Neatby's Defense of Liberal Education in Public Schools, professor and editor David W. Livingston quotes Neatby. If morality is merely socialized conduct, Schools will need to mold students in accordance with progressive ideals. Our education experts, Neatby argues, obsessed with the magnitude of the social engineering task that they have voluntarily assumed, insist on indoctrinating rather than liberating students. Thus today we see instructional time in schools decreased in core academic subjects and more time spent promoting or discussing various social issues ranging from climate to racism to gender even at ages when students do not have background information to enable them to assess or reason through the topics. They are simply pressured to affirm the flavor of the moment. Pity the poor student who may argue from history in a manner that conflicts with the view being imposed. So much for creative and free thought. The renowned American academic and author, Dr. Jean Chawl, was clearly frustrated with what she saw happening in the nation's schools. She spent years researching the effect of traditional direct teaching instruction versus the discovery learning approaches now so popular in schools. The research painted a very clear picture and revealed that direct instruction by a teacher knowledgeable in their subject produced measurably superior learning results. Dr. Chall compiled these findings in her final book, The Academic Achievement Challenge, What Really Works in the Classroom, written in 1999 and published in 2000, less than a year after her death. It highlighted the differences between the educators who base their practice on empirical methods versus the romantics or progressivists who favored student-led instruction. The results of measurable and reproducible research unmistakably and consistently showed students under traditional direct instruction achieved significantly better than those in progressive education. Yet the romantics simply reject all objective examination results, dismissing them as only testing facts and postulate without empirical evidence that their methods lead to better thinking skills. Michael Zwagstra challenges the assumption, as does Charles, that the progressive education is better at developing problem solving and critical thinking. Far too many students come from low socioeconomic status homes where they have not had the same learning opportunities as their more affluent classmates. As a result, they enter school at a significant disadvantage, providing all students with content-rich instruction is the key to empowering students from disadvantaged backgrounds. Interestingly, one of the arguments used by the progressive proponents is that this more student-centered approach is most helpful to the disadvantaged and socioeconomically deprived student. Alas, Chal demonstrates the reverse is the case. Students from less advantaged communities where often there are fewer information-rich resources available at home, 
are benefited disproportionately from well-planned, knowledge-based instruction delivered directly by a teacher. Indeed, the greater losers in progressive education are those from the less advantaged of society. It is particularly troubling when students are organized and encouraged to protest social issues, such as whether certain statues commemorating historical figures should be removed, when they are without the historical facts and context to have a well-founded opinion. These children are being used as tools of social activism. To a historian, it must seem eerily reminiscent of the brown shirts of the 1930s or the red guards of the Cultural Revolution. Understanding social issues is something that must be informed by considering context and with much background information. Just Googling some data on a topic about which one knows little or nothing adds very little knowledge and neither will it lead to accurate understanding. I will be back in less than a minute looking at one more serious issue that has resulted from the war on knowledge. In the meantime, if you have not already done so, take a moment to write or call for our free Tomorrow's World Bible course that will help you understand the most influential work in history. To enroll in the Tomorrow's World Bible Study course and receive your first free lesson, call the number displayed on the screen or enroll online at TWCanada.org. Have you ever asked where is the world headed or what does the future hold for me? We answer these questions and more in our magazine, Tomorrow's World. It is also yours free of charge. Don't wait. Call or visit us online to get your first lesson of our free Bible study course and Tomorrow's World magazine. I hope you enjoy the rest of today's program. The war against knowledge is not only a withdrawal of information, but also a changing of the conditions of learning in schools to those which are not conducive to producing knowledgeable and balanced individuals. On September 7, 2019, education writer Carolyn Alfonso of the Globe and Mail newspaper published a damning report on the state of order and discipline in Canadian schools. She relates the story of Jen Hare, a special education teacher in Barrie, Ontario, who was brutally assaulted by a student who delivered 45 blows, leaving the teacher with traumatic brain injury and unable to work. Biting, kicking, spitting, scratching, punching, blows to the head, aggressive, often violent, reported incidents against educators are on the rise. As teachers report more violent incidents in schools, boards struggle to manage children with complex needs. Educators in the Toronto District Board logged 3,831 reports of workplace violence in the 2018-19 school year. This was up 102% over three years. In Edmonton Public Schools, similar violence in classrooms doubled between 2015 and 2017. Such increases in violence are being reported by education authorities across the continent. The same article reports that in Nova Scotia, Paul Wozni of the Nova Scotia Teachers Union related that one provincial classroom was evacuated 12 times in a single month because of a disruptive child. Across Canada and the United States, 
violence within the walls of our classrooms is increasing dramatically, and this is affecting the learning environment, impeding the acquisition of knowledge. How is it that such a situation has been permitted to develop? A generation or two ago, Canadian and American schools were known for being orderly, with generally well-mannered students going to school to be educated in academic subjects, physical fitness, and learning skills in industrial arts and home economics. Schools were still places of learning. Administrators maintained a civil and respectful environment, and teachers provided learning that would enable the youth to take their place in supporting the economic and cultural furtherance of the nation. There were some incidents of misbehavior, but these were quickly dealt with, and students and teachers did not fear for their safety. Children in those schools reflected the whole spectrum of society. There were the rich and the poor, the local born and the immigrant. They learned and played together. But a far-left philosophy and administration generated changes in policy, changes which are key contributors to the crisis now stalking our schools. For many decades, educators realized the need to serve children who, for one reason or another, were not able to manage the mainstream program of study. Not all that long ago, it was common to include some children in a classroom on a type of modified or differentiated curriculum. As long as the range of needs in a class was not too great and the behavioral atmosphere was positive, learning occurred successfully. Inclusion for more severe needs was achieved through special programs set up within school communities to help students who required much more intensive support and supervision. Those with very pronounced learning challenges were included in special needs environments but still associated with other students in the social activities of the school. Today, however, the radical left, which seems to have usurped control over many education systems, is corrupting the term inclusion, interpreting it far beyond its intended dimension. As a former education administrator, I have witnessed cases where teachers have been given a set of students in which the range of special needs is such they cannot reasonably carry out their responsibility. No teacher, regardless of training, can successfully educate a classroom of students if the range of needs is too great, or if there is present a student who is violent or overly disruptive. The Nova Scotian example shows that jurisdictional or provincial leaders, in the name of inclusion, have chosen to deny the majority of students their right to education anticipated, all to accommodate one disruptive student. In this case, a classroom was evacuated 12 times in one month, the result of violent aggression shown by one student who they were not willing to remove from the classroom. This is unconscionable but it is occurring all too often and is one of the key reasons why our schools are failing our nation and our youth. Parents have every right to expect the best education possible for their children and for them to be safe in an environment where students comply with rules and standards of behavior. All students may deserve an education, but all students also deserve not to have their education disrupted or endangered by classmates 
who are either rebellious or have a genuine severe learning and behavioral challenge. Help and education should be provided for the latter group of children also, but in a different setting. The rapidly rising violence in our schools, as reported by the Globe and Mail, is a wake-up call. Society has allowed radicals to make accommodation demands of school systems that are fully irrational, wasteful of money and instructional talent, and worst of all, denying our children the opportunity to maximize their potential. In over 40 years of working within public education, I have never witnessed the level of disruption and appeasement now occurring due to a far-left agenda. As we have seen earlier in this program, schools have become laboratories for social experiments, where students are, in some cases, nothing more than lab rats for unproven educational theories like child-centered education and discovery learning or constructionism. It is certainly appropriate for parents to expect more and to ensure that they know what and in what environment their children are learning. If their expectations are not met, they can make their concerns known through proper channels and not quietly allow their children to be the victims of the war against knowledge. As I have already alluded to in this program, there is another war against knowledge, one that has been going on for centuries. The book known as the Bible is a compilation of works which we at Tomorrow's World sincerely believe were inspired over a period of nearly 1,500 years, ending with the completion and collection of the New Testament around A.D. 90. Many efforts have been made through the centuries to suppress this book. All have failed. Today we see the rise of groups on the far left wanting again to suppress the writings of Scripture as they know and understand its content does not agree with their social view of the world. This book has been the most powerful and influential piece of writing in Western history, and many would say in world history. It has shaped the laws of British and European civilization, which certainly extends to the Americas. It influences our form of government, and up until recently, our social order, as well as our education system. We will soon be releasing another program on tomorrow's world that will examine the contributions of the Bible and Christianity to the world. I think you will be surprised to see the degree to which your daily life is impacted by the Bible. Whether or not one is a follower of the guidance for life provided by the scriptures, knowing its content is to know and understand much in the world around us. Helping our children to be familiar with the stories of the Bible enriches them and at the very least helps them grasp many illusions found in day-to-day -day life and in literature which they will otherwise miss. Hence, we are pleased to offer you today a free subscription to a 24-lesson program that will take you through the Bible and show what it actually says. I think you'll be amazed to find out what it does say is likely not at all what you have heard. You don't have to lose the war against knowledge. Please join us next week as Gerald Weston, Michael Haycoop, and I bring you the truth of tomorrow's world. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 
or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, PO Box 465, London, Ontario, N6P1R1. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for living an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Write or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.